Well, good morning. As Grace Marie said, my name is Janice and I am the missions director here at Mount Horeb, have been for about 18 months, but I've been around for a long time, been on staff here for about 14 years and I just gotta say it is a privilege to be with you this morning and I'm excited to get to share some truths from God's word and we're just asking that he's gonna show up and do something, something amazing here today. And as we get ready to celebrate the 4th of July and talk about freedom, I thought it would be fun for us to talk about some things and some reasons that we love America. Now I got the idea from a People magazine and on the cover it says 100 reasons to love America. And I picked it up and I found some that I just loved and thought it would be kind of fun if we looked at some of my favorites this morning. But here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask that you let me know if it's your favorite too. I wanna hear from you. We gotta get some energy in the rooms. I wanna hear from you. So as they come up on the screen, I'm gonna tell you why People Magazine loves it, and then I want you to tell me by clapping or cheering, whatever you wanna do, if you love it too. Are we ready? All right, and I've got seven, the top seven reasons from the People Magazine list that I love America. So number seven, amusement parks, woohoo! And not just amusement parks, but the food that we can get at amusement parks. Everything fried, right? Fried whatever, you can get it there. So do you love amusement parks? All right, good deal. Now you're getting on, now you're getting it. Number six, you're gonna love this one, Marvel Universe. What, that's it? I thought this would like, you guys would go crazy. Well, here's what People Magazine says about Marvel Universe. 22 movies strong with Endgame as one of the biggest box office hits of all time. They strut across planets, they, can't even speak. They strut across planets with tricep accenting uniforms, but away from the line of battle, they look just like, well, a middle-aged Robert Downey Jr. or the kid next door, Tom Holland. When push comes to shove, they're willing to take the ultimate hit for the sake of their friends, and they don't tilt their chins upward to look all noble. They do the solar system proud. Let's give it up for Marvel Universe. All right, ladies, I wanna hear from you on this one. Number five, women in Congress. Do you know that there is a record number of women in Congress after this last election? 127 women. Now we got a long way to go, but I'm still proud of that number. Number four, Pi Day, Pi Day. Only in America would we celebrate both math and pie on the same day, right? I love it, I love it. Now I'm getting ready to show my age a little bit on this one, because some of you may be going, huh, what's that? The Brady Bunch, Brady Bunch House Renovation. Have you guys been tracking that? So in an explosion of nostalgia, the original Brady Bunch House has been restored to its 1970s glory by the stars of the sitcom along with some HGTV pros. A very Brady renovation is gonna air in September and I'm gonna be there, I hope you will too. All right, number two. You ready? Y'all, you gotta be ready for this one. Goat yoga, it's a thing, it really is. The most joyful type of yoga because of goats. It says goat yoga is animal assisted therapy in a natural setting with an unexpected, smart, social, and profoundly cuttable 
animal. I just love that. I gotta try it, I don't know about you. And last, but certainly not least, the number one reason why People Magazine loves America is Carrie Underwood. Woohoo! Now, are there any fans? Any fans? I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. But I gotta tell you, I became a bigger fan after I read the article about her in the magazine. And I wanna share just a little bit with you. It's very inspirational. What she talks about in the article is that she has just suffered three miscarriages in less than two years. The article says in a quote, a devout Christian, Underwood says it was a heart-to-heart talk with God that came next. I've always wanted to be a good daughter to my parents, but also to God and not complain because we are so blessed, she says. I get to do what I love. I have an incredible family. I had all of these amazing people around me and I don't want to complain ever. If this isn't meant to happen, then I need to accept. I need to accept that and know that someday I'll understand why. Using her platform to lift up our God and his faithfulness. Isn't that awesome? So I do love that, I love that. But really the number one reason that I love America is freedom. Freedom for people like Carrie Underwood to be able to share their faith in a magazine. Freedom for us to be able to gather here together and worship without fear of going to prison or having our property seized or or extreme extreme persecution. I love America because we have a voice. And even though things aren't always perfect and there's a lot of injustice that we still need, need to deal with, we're able to use our voice through a democratic process and be heard to affect change. So with Independence Day just a few days away, I just wanna challenge us to all stop and recognize the, the privilege that we have as Americans. We were born into the land of the free and the home of the brave, but it costs them their life. So it's worth us remembering. And while we celebrate America's freedom, with our family gatherings and picnics and watermelon and fireworks. I I just hope and pray that we'll pause and remember that not everyone around the world has that, that slavery and oppression is still the current reality for many people around the world. That there are people around our globe who can't even imagine what it's like to be free from the tyranny of a corrupt government or from hunger. There are people around the world in our country, in our neighborhoods, and even in our homes who can't even imagine what it it would be like to be free. Free from the oppression of generational poverty or racism, sexism, human trafficking, physical or sexual abuse, and the list goes on and on. Oppression can come from the outside, but it can also manifest itself from the inside. It can be done to us or something that we do to ourselves like debt, addiction, materialism, pride, idolatry, unbelief, insecurity, and again, it goes on and on. No matter the source of the size though, what we are here to proclaim today is that Jesus desires freedom from all of it for all of us. And we usually associate the word freedom with the right to live as we please, to pursue our ambitions and dreams. But Jesus has something else entirely in store, a much deeper aspect of freedom that pertains to the state of our soul. God wants to free us from every internal 
bondage, every form of it that prevents us from becoming the person that he created us to be. And so today I'm gonna invite you to join me on a journey, and I'm calling it a journey, a journey to freedom. And my prayer is that God will do something amazing in this room today, that he will reveal to us places where we are living in bondage. Some we may know about, some we may be clueless about. But he'll reveal them, he'll help us deal with them today, and then he will unleash us to go out into the world and help set other captives free. While oppression has a thousand different names, I believe that freedom is our birthright by an eternal intention and supernatural power. We were born to be free. God made us that way, and yet slavery runs through the heart of each of us. Brokenness is the human condition. But thankfully, there's a story of freedom that God penciled down for us in his word that we can use today to learn what freedom from oppression can look like. We can see what some of the pitfalls are that, that are ahead of us so that we don't fall into them. And we're gonna see that God unleashes power to set some captives free with a, with a vision and a purpose to establish them as his children, his image bearers for the transformation of the world. So if you have your Bibles with me, would you please open to Exodus where we're gonna begin our journey. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father, we just ask that your word would not return void, but that it would accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. That your words, your true words, will fall upon us in a new and fresh way. That you will do something in each one of us that moves us from where we are into the reality of who you want us to be. And I pray all this in the powerful, precious name of Jesus, amen. All right, so we're gonna pick up in Exodus and I'm gonna start with verse eight of chapter one where it says that there was a new king who didn't know Joseph who came to power in Egypt. Now Joseph was the son of the patriarch Jacob who was sold into slavery by his brothers who despised him he rose to power in Egypt from slave to prisoner to second in command of all Egypt. God used him to save the Egyptians from a seven-year famine and then to have the Egyptian economy prosper. God even had Pharaoh invite Joseph's family to come and live in Egypt. He gave him the best land that Egypt had. But then a new king who didn't know Joseph came to power in Egypt. And this Pharaoh viewed the Israelites not as friends, but as potential enemies. He saw that they were increasing in number. They just kept multiplying in number. And he was afraid that they would war against him. And so fear leads to oppression. In verse 11 it says, so they, the Egyptians, put slave masters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, verse 12. Verse 14, they made their lives bitter with hard work. The Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Well, because slavery wasn't working and they kept continuing to multiply, Pharaoh then orders the Israelite midwives to kill every baby boy as soon as it was born. It's gonna annihilate a generation. But there were two midwives who refused to do it. Chapter two focuses on a specific baby 
who was identified, or I'm sorry, who was destined to become the deliverer of a nation. His parents hide him for three months until they can't hide him anymore. Then they put him in a little woven ark and they set him in the Nile River. Well, by God's providence, Pharaoh's daughter is bathing and she takes this boy, she adopts him as her own, and eventually this baby Moses grows up in the palace of Pharaoh. Moses grows, grows up and there comes a time though when he really wants to go and identify with his own people. You see, he'd spent years with his mother when he was a baby before he officially moved completely into the palace. So he knew something about the God of his family. And he wants to identify with them, so he visits the Israelites and observes an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. He reacts violently, kills the Egyptian, and then he has to leave Egypt as a fugitive. He escapes into the desert where he meets a new community of people and becomes a part of their family when he marries the chief's daughter. He spends the next 40 years in the desert as a shepherd. And from all that we're told, it would be really hard to believe that we're gonna see Moses back in Egypt and certainly not as the people's deliverer, but that's what happens. So chapter three, we see that meanwhile, the Israelites cry out to God for deliverance. Chapter three, verse one. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange thing, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain. And after this supernatural encounter with God, Moses obeys. He goes to Pharaoh and he says over and over again, let God's people go. And, Moses, and Pharaoh says no, until finally, the Lord sends the final miracle, the final plague, and Pharaoh says, get out. Get out of town. And don't just get out of town, but you can take our plunder with you. And so the Israelites leave Egypt, and they walk out of slavery and into freedom. But that's not the end of their journey. In fact, it's really just the beginning, because what we see is that there's a different kind of work that begins now. Getting the Israelites out of Egypt proved easier than getting Egypt out of the Israelites. 
At the time of the Exodus, it's believed that there were a million or more Israelites. And if you remember back with me to Genesis, we see that God appeared to a, to a man named Abraham and he told them, he made a covenant with them and said, I'm gonna make you a great nation. Your descendants will be more than the stars in the sky. I'm gonna make a great nation. I'm gonna bless you so that this nation will be a blessing to every other nation. But the problem is the Israelites never fully experience the freedom that they're given when they walk out of Egypt. They quickly become burdened again with the yoke of slavery. And it took generations before they fell back into, into physical slavery, oppression from an enemy nation, but they very quickly fall back into an, in, an internal kind of slavery to fear, discontentment, pride, idolatry, unbelief. And rather than being a nation that influenced the world around them, pointing them to the one true God, instead they let the other nations influence them to look more like they did. They were lured away from their kingdom destiny as co-creators of the king. So what parallels can we draw and what does this story have to do with us? Well, I wanna begin by pointing out that the God of the Exodus is a seeing, hearing, and compassionate God. In verses seven and eight, God says, I've seen the misery, I've heard them, so I've come down to rescue them. God took a look at his people, stamped with his image, but conformed to the image of Egypt. They were supposed to look like him, not Egypt and its oppression, so God sets out to recreate them into the people that deep down they already are. They needed to make a journey from slavery to freedom. And to do that, they had to relearn what it meant to be free. And they had to reclaim their identity. And honestly, so do many of us. The God that saw and heard and had compassion on the Israelites is the same God who sees and hears and has compassion on us. Hebrews 13 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God hasn't changed. His faithfulness remains. Thousands of years ago, the prophet Isaiah wrote about one that would come and he would set things right. And I just want you to hear these words. God really used these words years ago to bring healing and to begin my journey to freedom. So if you feel like you're bound today, just close your eyes and listen. This is the picture of who Jesus is and what he's coming to do. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to, procl to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for them who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. In Luke chapter four, Jesus is in his bodily but godly form on the earth and he goes into a synagogue in Nazareth and he reads from the scroll, this very scroll, the words of Isaiah, and when he's finished, he rolls the scroll, the scroll up and he says to the people, 
Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Christ is announcing that he is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. He is the one who came down to offer true freedom for all of us. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Friends, there is no bondage that we face in our personal lives that's too hard for Jesus. He sees you. He hears you. He has compassion for you. And his desire is uncompromising, unrelenting, indomitable freedom. For this Christ died, for this Christ rose, for this Christ sent his spirit. And there is nothing he wills with more intensity under the glory of his own name than this. And that is your freedom. And I can speak from personal experience that the journey to freedom can be a long one. And it can also be a painful one, but it is worth it. It's worth it. As I said earlier, God used these verses from Isaiah to show me, reveal to me who Jesus is. And then we began that journey together. And I wish I had a magic formula or an easy button for you that I could share with you today of, of how we get free from the bondage of sin and culture and everything else. But the truth is, instead of a formula, God gives us a relationship. He gives us Jesus, Jesus, to come and walk with us, to be with us. He gives us his spirit in his presence. He gives us forgiveness, grace, mercy, and unconditional love. Over time, as I was journeying to freedom, he used lots of different people and different things, but I'll tell you, the single most significant thing besides his presence was the truth of his word. I learned how to stand on the promises of who God says that I am until I could really believe it for myself. And the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that captives who have been set free by the love of Christ are compelled to go and pour that love out on others so they can be free too. Which brings me to our second point. The God of the Exodus is a God who commissions people to participate in his purposes. Now, while God is going to be directly involved in the deliverance of his people, he'll often do so through human in instruments. And in the case of Moses, we see that God manifests himself to Moses because he wants to manifest himself through Moses. And although God indicated his personal involvement, it's Moses through whom these things will be accomplished. As people who have encountered the love of Christ, we too are called, we are called to follow Jesus into the dark and broken places of the world and to be his instruments, instruments of freedom and justice, to bring light into darkness. God calls us to see and to hear the cries of his people around the world. And then we're to go out and we are to confront this injustice in the name of Jesus, in the truth of Jesus, 
then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, scripture says. And we're to do it in the way of Jesus. It's just super important. We're gonna do it with grace and with truth so that we are giving the world a true picture of who he is. We're called to use whatever influence we have to proclaim good news and offer freedom. Carrie Underwood used People Magazine to do that. And God wants us to use wherever we find ourselves, whatever our sphere of influence is, whether it's a business, a school, stay-at-home mom or dad, God wants to use all of us. And if I can be real with you for a minute, I see something dangerous going on in the body of Christ today just burdens me. And it's a license for us to live any way we want, to conform to the patterns of the world instead of having our mind transformed by the word of God in the presence of our Savior. So many followers of Jesus don't look any different from the pagan neighbors, from those who don't know Jesus yet. We're in danger of losing our identity as the image bearers of Christ. And another danger that I see is complacency. We're in danger of coming complacent about the injustice in our world, of locking ourselves away behind gated communities and removing ourselves as far from injustice and, and the harsh reality of the world that we don't hear the cries anymore. We don't see them. They're not personal to us. But God wants to change that. He is a commissioning God who is sending us out. And I wanna tell you a story about my precious friend, Patricia. Patricia grew up in a family of dysfunction with a history of addiction and incarceration. She was arrested for the first time when she was 16 years old. She was trafficked for 20 years of her life. In 2014, she was awakened one morning by Lexington County narcotics officers as they banged on her door, pulled her from her house, and then went to ransack her home. She tells the story of when her heart truly was broken, and it's when an officer walked out with her five-year-old daughter, carrying her like this, as if, he might catch something if he touched her. And she watched her daughter be taken into DSS custody. Patricia was taken to the Lexington County Detention Center and she was placed in a cell on the third floor. Now what she shares is that the third floor is the place where I guess the most dangerous folks are, are put so that there's no flight risk. And it's dark and moldy and it smells of death. And she knew that she was never gonna see her beautiful daughter again. And she made a decision. She was gonna end her life. She did not wanna live anymore. And she knew that on this third floor, you could check out a razor from the officers there and use it when you went into the shower. And so she decided she was gonna do that, but she was gonna use that razor to end her life. She went and she sat down at a table and a lady that she describes as kind of crazy looking with no teeth, not somebody you would think is getting ready to speak a prophetic word over you, came and sat down beside her and she pulled out her Bible and she read to her from Ezekiel 16, 6. And it says, then I passed by and I saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, 
I said to you, live. Now only God knew, she'd not told a soul, only God knew that she planned to take her life and, and by shedding her blood, no less. Only he knew the depth of the despair and the shame that she felt. And she remembers crying out to God in that shower on her knees, telling him that she can't see past the shame and the hopelessness, that she doesn't know any other way to live. This has been her story, it was her family's story. She fell to her knees and she prayed and she admitted all this to God. And she surrendered her life to him. Well, he does a miracle. Shortly after that, the pipes on the third floor burst and the women are evacuated to another part of the jail, a part that's more beautiful and has light. But the amazing thing is, in this part of the jail, they allow people to come in and do Bible studies. So it's Easter morning, and she goes to this Bible study, and she knew that something was gonna happen. And a chaplain comes in and shares with her the story of Jesus, how he took the sins, the burdens of the world upon himself, how he died and rose again for freedom. She said, I want that. And then this chaplain walked alongside her on her journey to freedom. She came to know the Lord, she was released, and she even got her daughter back. And I got to know Patricia because she is a circle leader in our ministry here called Circles that you may have heard something about. It's a ministry that comes alongside folks who are in poverty and provides them with intentional friendships and resources to help them journey towards financial self-sufficiency. And, and Patricia was, was a referral um, from someone and she came and has been part of our Circles ministry. During the first 12 weeks, they go through an intense training where they learn how to dream again. You see, poverty rips the dream right out of your soul. And so they dreamed again about who they were created for, what purpose God had for them in the world. Since Patricia has been in Circle, she's been paired with three allies who are folks from middle class that have decided that they'll just be an intentional friend for her, that they'll walk with her on her journey to freedom. She's been able to complete a state certification as a peer support specialist, which provides her with the tools to do motivational interviews and mentoring for those who are in recovery and coming out of jail. This is amazing, y'all. She's also developed a life skills program what she knew is that coming out of jail, she, she didn't have any skills to live free. And so she developed a program that the jail now allows her to come in every week and teach these life skills to the women who are, who are held there. She's like a Moses who's going back. She's going back in to help those who are still in prison. Patricia told me on Friday as we were talking, she's just through tears, what circles has meant to her. And she said, the most amazing thing is that it provided people who believed in her before she was believing in herself. And her story now is she is founding a ministry called Hadassah Hope with a long-term vision of opening a transitional home for women coming out, coming out of jail. They'll be able to relearn what it means to be free in a safe place. Isn't that amazing? Will you join me in welcoming Patricia and her allies? I just want you guys to see a picture of what freedom looks like. Y'all come on out here.
this lady right here and these ladies right here are amazing. They're amazing. Patricia is this picture for us of how the God of the universe sees us, hears us, has compassion, and then he commissions us, not just to keep that to ourselves, but to go back to a world that is hurting and in need of the experiences that we've had. She's brave, y'all. She's courageous. And these mentors, these ladies, these allies beside her show up regularly to walk with her along her journey to freedom. Oh, they're gonna be outside at the Mission Center. Would you stop by and, and meet them on the way out? Thank you, ladies. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You see, when you know that you're not only saved from something, but for something, it frees you to get to the actual work of bringing God's kingdom to the world. The actual work that we were created for. And guys, we're preparing to start our second cohort of circle leaders, when she'll be 10 to 12 new faces that come in to begin their journey to financial self-sufficiency. And just like Patricia, they're gonna need some allies. It can be men, it can be women who are willing to just build an intentional friendship for somebody whose story may look the same as yours or may look quite different. I'm gonna ask you, would, would you consider that? Would you pray about that? Letting the Lord use you. From the first service, we already got three people that said, I'm in, I'll do this with you. But what really gets me, y'all, as I think to myself, what if Patricia had had some folks that came alongside her when she was a child? Somebody that stepped in the gap in an after-school program like our 1010 Bridge and spoke worth and value over her, that saw what was going on and was able to help get resources to intervene before her story was so tragic and filled with pain. And guys, every week here in this place, we have children who are at risk who come here and meet with somebody just like you to hear the good news that Jesus loves them and died for them and that they are worthy and valuable. You know, we could bring more children if we had more mentors. Would you consider it? There are 300,000 children that are estimated to be at risk of being victims of human trafficking in the United States of America. I'm not talking worldwide, I'm talking here. And what if we became a people, a faith community that said, not on my watch. It's not gonna happen. I'm gonna do whatever I can. I'm gonna let God free me so that I could be used as his instrument to walk with someone else to freedom. You know, we also have this amazing car donation program that's going on for folks who, who don't have transportation, people who are doing the hard work of getting out of poverty, but they can't get to work because they don't have a vehicle. And someone in our church said, I'm gonna leverage my influence, my business, my experience to make sure that if we get a car that's donated, that it can be refurbished and given to someone who needs it. What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand that can be used for the kingdom? You see, we all have a place in the Exodus story. Where do you find yourself in the story? Do you find yourself like Patricia did as someone without hope? This feeling that life is just too hard, you've made too many mistakes, old habits are hard to die, old thinking is entrenched, lifelong fears are holding tight and opening up new possibilities just seems impossible. Or maybe, 
Like the Israelites, you have forgotten your identity as an image bearer of God. That we have been called to represent him to a lost world, to proclaim freedom for those who don't yet know him, both here and far, both in our neighborhoods and around the world. Or maybe to walk along someone who's in bondage. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would come and he would set things right. And that when he did, that those who receive the healing that he offers, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will, they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. This is our calling. It's our calling as the people of God to be rebuilders of all that is broken in our world, co-creators with Christ of an eternal kingdom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We sang it earlier. The Spirit is here. There's freedom today. Do you hear the liberty bell ringing? It's for you. It's for you. Jesus is calling your name. Moses finds his name when he encounters, or Moses finds his purpose when he encounters a holy God at the burning bush and his bare feet hit the dirt. He bows and he kneels before the God of his father and he takes the posture of a servant. Now this photo that's coming up on the screen is a, is a photo of a stained glass window over in the East Campus in, in the foyer there. And over a hundred years ago, there was a group of people that I am convinced were led by the Spirit of God that named this place, this church, Mount Horeb. This is the place where Moses, the mountain of God called Horeb is where Moses encountered the holiness of God and began his journey. And I believe that the people who named this place that were speaking prophetically because they knew that this would be a place where the Lord would reside, that his presence would be here, that his spirit would be here, and that we would be a people who would do what Moses did and go back to Egypt to rescue those who are in slavery. So I'm gonna invite you to do something with me today that may seem a little crazy, but I believe where we're standing is holy ground. And so when we stand here to worship in this last song, I'm gonna ask that you stand up and that you just slip your shoes off. And I'll be honest, you might have a whole lot of dirt that falls out, but let's be, let's be honest, we all have some dirt, right? We all have dirt from our past that we're ashamed of. But what if we didn't let us hold it back another minute? What if today is the day of the rest of our life? life of freedom. So I would ask that when you stand, you just slip your shoes off and that you worship, that you claim this last song as your commissioning, both to walk into freedom yourself and then to go out to help rescue those that need it. Would you pray with me? Father God, you are a God who sees us and hears us has compassion over us. You love us with a relentless, pursuing, perfect love. 
And Jesus, we just admit to you today that we've messed up. We've lost our purpose and our identity. We've allowed the culture to make us look more like it than like you. But we don't wanna stay in this place. We know that you are calling us to freedom today. We know it, I know it. And so Jesus, would you do a new work in us? Would you reveal yourself to us? Would you lead us on our journey to freedom? We offer ourselves to you for your kingdom's purpose and glory. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen.